Thanks for tuning in to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we chat with today's most successful and inspiring health leaders. Hey, I want to personally invite you to our first inaugural Healthcare Thinkathon. It's a conference at the Outcomes Rocket and the IU Center for Health Innovation and Implementation Sciences has teamed up on. We're going to put together silo-crushing practices just like we do here on the podcast, except it's going to be live. With inspiring keynotes and panelists to set the tone, we're conducting a meeting where you could be part of drafting the blueprint for the future of healthcare. That's right. You could be a founding member of this group of talented industry and practitioner leaders. Join me and 200 other inspiring health leaders for the first inaugural Healthcare Thinkathon. It's an event that you're not going to want to miss. And since there's only 200 tickets available, you're going to want to act soon. So how do you learn more? Just go to outcomesrocket.health/conference. For more details on how to attend, that's outcomesrocket.health conference, and you'll be able to get all the info that you need on this amazing healthcare thinkathon. That's outcomesrocket.health conference. Welcome back once again to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we chat with today's most successful and inspiring health leaders. I want to welcome you to the podcast again, and have you go to outcomesrocket.health slash reviews where you could rate and review today's guest because he is an outstanding contributor to health. His name is Dr. Michael D. Abramoff. He's a president and founder of IDX LLC, a company focused on bringing forth technology for eye diagnosis, and they're doing it in a very unique and innovative way. And so what I want to do is open up the microphone to our outstanding guest, who is also a professor of ophthalmology and visual sciences, and uh, really want to welcome you to the podcast, Dr. Abramoff. Thanks so much. It's very uh, exciting to be here. Maybe I missed something in your introduction. I'd love to give you the opportunity to, to fill in any of the gaps and, and have the listeners get to know you a little bit better. Yeah, so I, I don't want to make it long, so I'll be brief. As you can hear from my accent, I was born in abroad in the Netherlands. I came here from Amsterdam to Iowa now 15 years ago. It was a very good choice. Iowa is probably one of the world's leading centers for ophthalmology and physical sciences. And so it's very exciting to have the opportunity to work here and collaborate here. In my background, I was always interested both in computer science and medicine. I actually tried to combine them both during my medical school where I did got a computer science degree in the background. I left to do computer science to mimic the brain and understand better how the brain works in Japan. From there, I moved to France where I worked for several years understanding brain scanning with computers, so essentially image analysis of, of brain scans. And back to Holland, did my residency in ophthalmology, became a vitro-retinal surgeon, as it's called, essentially a retinal specialist. And during that time, I worked on a PhD analyzing images of the eye. So I've always been trying to combine these two interests. People always told me it was very exciting that I was trying to combine these, but it never really materialized to anything useful until I started thinking about how you can really employ computers, machine learning, mimicking of the brain to you know, better the outcomes for people with, with retinal disease and with systemic diseases that manifest in the retina. And so that led me to think that maybe analyzing images of people with diabetes to diagnose diabetic retinopathy can really be a, a great benefit to patient outcomes. 
Absolutely, Dr. Abramoff. And, and listeners, Dr. Abramoff's passion for the intersection of tech and, and medicine has led to the creation of IDX. And they're really just, you know, one of the few companies applying artificial intelligence in a very useful way in medicine. Rather than just talking about AI, they're actually putting it to good use. Michael, one of the things that I always like to ask our guests is a hot topic. You know, what's a hot topic that medical leaders need to be focused on today? I think there's a lot of uh, buzz about artificial intelligence or AI right now. It's sort of a fashion thing where it's last few years, it's very exciting. A few years earlier, you didn't want to talk about it. 20 years ago, it was really exciting. So it comes and it goes. Mm -hmm. However, right now, I think there's opportunities that were never there before because of recent increases in uh, power of uh, hardware, computer hardware, and also better use of uh, new and better improved algorithms. These algorithms were around for a long time, but deep learning algorithms really found their place when the hardware matched the demands of very high computational demands. Yeah, and Dr. Abramoff, one of the things that I find happens a lot is people talk a big game on artificial intelligence and they don't really do much with it. Can you explain to the listeners how you guys are leveraging it to create better outcomes? Yeah, so let me start with with where, where I see maybe sometimes it gets a bit muddled and people talk about all the excitement about AI and AI in healthcare. And then so there's, I think, three uses for AI in healthcare. One is for research where we try to do discovery, right? And they're great tools for associating outcomes with maybe early events or things in the medical record or in images. And that's really used for research to discover new relationships and try to better understand them so we better understand disease. So that's one thing. And eventually, hopefully, research leads to better outcomes. But that's sort of more farther away. Then what you also have is something called assistive AI, where you have a specialist or a physician or a provider, essentially, assisted by an AI, but it's still at the same level as the specialist. So let's say you have a radiologist or an ophthalmologist like me, and they're looking at images of their patients, and the AI algorithm helps them maybe pay more attention to a specific abnormality that they otherwise would not have found. But eventually then that specialist still makes the call whether to cause something disease or whether to say something is normal or abnormal. So that's another helpful use of AI. And definitely that's, that's more comfortable for a lot of people. And what we do is, is different in a way, again, because we use it in an autonomous fashion, which is, you know, remember autonomous driving cars where it's really the algorithm that takes the clinical decision, the AI that takes the clinical decision, and the specialist is not involved anymore. There's still physicians or providers involved by communicating with the patient when they went to the test to communicate the results, explain the, you know what, what is next, and make sure that, that the things that need to happen with the patient indeed happen. And so we have great expectations that that will improve outcomes. Because one of the backgrounds of that is that primary care, front lines of care, is really where, where patients will first go. And anytime you move a specialist diagnostic expertise from that specialist office into primary care, I think will benefit outcomes. And so in IDX, that's what we do. We, we take specialist knowledge, like me as a retinal specialist, being able to determine whether a patient has diabetic retinopathy or not. And we take that knowledge... And we now encapsulate it in an algorithm, make a system around it. And I can talk about later what I mean by the system, because it's more than just an AI algorithm. 
and put it into primary care where the patients already are and are t- being taken care of and there help that provider, the primary care provider, to better manage the patients and not have to refer them to the specialist. So you guys are focused on the automation portion of the three that you discussed. Yes. I do a lot of research as a, you know, I'm a physician scientist, so I do a lot of research, which I mentioned first, and it's all very exciting. And the research, You know, the yeah. road to improving outcomes is a long one. Assistive, otherwise or others are doing, probably with the expectation that eventually they will move to autonomous. We decided to jump ahead and just go straight into autonomous, which initially, you know, gave some challenges. I have a nickname called Retinator. Like <laughs> so seven years ago, I love I that title there, and it's facetious, but it's it's funny, of course. <laughs> it's is. also serious that you know, can these algorithms really do what a specialist can, or is it safe for our patients? Do we really want that? And so, initially, you run into some of that, but that's over now. People understand that these these algorithms have a very specific role and can be very beneficial for everyone, patients, healthcare system insurers, taxpayers, primary care providers, and even uh, the specialists like me. Yeah. And, you know, the implications uh, potentially to physicians like you, I mean, you get pushback from them? Well, that's why I was called the retinator many years ago. But now, <laughs> no, that's not the case anymore. Again, so we're filling an unmet need with, with this specific diabetic retinopathy detection and also with other detection hmm. products that we are having preparation in the, in the pipeline. Because... It's important to remember there's more than 30 million people with diabetes in the U.S. and less than 50% get a recommended eye exam every year that is so important in preventing blindness and visual loss. So every year, about 20 to 25,000 people go blind or lose vision because of diabetes, which is almost entirely preventable if you catch it early. Wow. But if you don't have a retinal eye exam, it won't get called early, and then it gets missed, and then you get symptoms, but then usually it's too late and irreversible damage to the retina as a result. Hmm. So the whole point is, hey, we, we need to find these people that have the disease in an early stage so we can send them to the eye care provider, to retinal specialists like me and where I can actually treat them. Mm-hmm. And so right now that's not happening with 50, 60, 70% of people with diabetes. So rather than saying, well, it's replacing what, what I as a, as a retinal specialist do, no, it's indeed bringing patients who actually need the care to the places where, where the care can be given. But on the other hand, not sending a, me a lot of patients and providers like me, a lot of patients where the retina has nothing wrong with it. It's, it's, it's fine. They can just come back next year. I don't need to see those. And so it's perfect for primary care to have that happen over there. It's super interesting, Dr. Abramoff. I had no idea the numbers, you know, 20 to 25,000 people get blindness. Per year. That's just an unacceptable number. Well, you know, sometimes there's diseases and there's nothing we can do, or very little. Right, that's true. But now in this case, we know it's preventable. We know what to do. It's just that patients tend to... So how this goes is that right now how it works is you go to your primary care provider and diabetes can get you complications. Everyone with diabetes knows that. They look at your feet, they they look at your extremities, they test your kidneys, they test your blood pressure... All these things are checked for, and then when uh, they see something wrong, they will either manage it better or they will send you to a specialist for care for your kidneys, for example. Yes. However, primary care doesn't feel comfortable looking at the retinas of, of people with diabetes, so they are supposed to refer these patients to an eye care provider. The problem is that they try to do that, but many times 
people, it's an appointment maybe three months away. There's a long travel in some places in the country, up to four to six hours of driving. And so many times there's a reason not to go or the cat or a child gets sick. And it's another reason not to go. But then they come to someone like a retinal specialist like me. They spend almost half a day in the waiting room after traveling a long time, maybe. And then I have about a few minutes time for them mm. to tell them that nothing is wrong with the retina. Well, they spent all this time having a very brief encounter with me because I see many patients a day and then get sent back and say, come back next year. Well, next time they are asked to the year later to make this appointment, they will just think, well, why am I doing this? Yeah, I would feel the same way. It's like, well, ah, I went there last time. I was fine. So you're sure. you're taking this approach and you're get, you're empowering the primary care physician to do the test on the spot. Exactly. And and so it's empowering for primary care physicians and and you know, I expect it to be a major improvement in outcomes because again, we can then prevent wow. these cases of blindness and visual loss. That is so fascinating, Dr. Abramoff. I love where you're going with this. A little bit earlier, you talked about you were going to dive into a little bit more. It's not just the algorithm, but the system. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so I, I think it's important to, to understand that an, you know, artificial intelligence is great and it's an, a necessary tool, but it takes much more to move this into primary care. And I, I love to give the example of one of the, the clinical trial sites that I can talk about the clinical trial a little bit later. But we did a clinical trial in, in 10 sites, primary care all over the U.S., including one in New Mexico, where the closest ophthalmologist is four, maybe six hours away, I don't remember. And so these people have never been able to get the people with diabetes in that clinic the, the eye care they, they need so desperately. So we came there, we put uh, the system in place, which is a robotic camera, a computer with, with the algorithm essentially. And we train people with a high school level education who have never taken a retinal image before. So they were mostly desk staff. And we, we trained them up in four hours and then we left. And from then on, they were able to do the imaging and operator algorithm, etc., And so that's why I call it a system because it requires an operator that's trained in a certain way, a logarithmic camera, uh, sorry, a robotic camera and the algorithm to be combined. And only then can it work. If you just send images to an algorithm, that's not enough. So it's very exciting because the, the results of the clinical trial are very exciting, as we mentioned in the press release. And so I cannot tell you that, you know, it's better than me because FDA is the ultimate authority on that. But mm -hmm. in Europe, we're cleared, and there definitely it's better than me as a retinal specialist in wow. terms of detecting disease. So here you go. You have a clinic in the middle of no. Well, those people don't see it that way. But, you know, for us, relatively from Iowa, it's in the middle of nowhere and no diagnostic capability. And we come in uh, with this AI-based system. There's this clinic far away from any eye care provider. And we come in, put the AI-based system, which is, again, an AI a robotic camera and an operator will be trained in a, in a specific way in four hours with no any, any expertise in eye imaging ever. And we leave four hours later and there is a diagnostic capability that we are very excited about is, is really good. Yeah, that's super, super fascinating, Michael. And, and you know, one of the things that I find is troubling in, is that, you know, the reason why these things don't get detected is because it's... You're trying to do early detection and a lot of times when you do early detection, especially with things that take a lot of time and you know, waiting in waiting rooms, you may not find anything the first time around. It's a disincentive for them to go back. This is just a wonderful way to catch it up front. Yeah, essentially you make the eye exam as, as easily uh, doable as a, as a blood draw or a blood pressure cuff, uh, blood pressure measurement. Yeah, it's, it's really to make it almost a, 
a simple thing in the place where, where the patients are. Is super exciting. And with the growing number of adults and children, uh, not just adults with diabetes, it's becoming more and more of a necessity. So pretty exciting that your two passions finally came together in a way that could really benefit millions yeah, of people. Really, really cool to finally, it took a long time. <laughs> but it's now finally, it seems to be happening. That's yeah. amazing. How do you feel about that? Well, very excited. But the funny thing is, you know, for 20 years I've worked towards you know, having a really exciting result of the, you know, the FDA pivotal trial. And so when that was done, immediately, A, you start working on, oh, yeah, what happens when clearance and how do we actually get it to patients? And so there's so much, because we're the first, right? No one has done any type of AI clinical trial for FDA. And so because we're the first, we're learning everything as we go. And we have to develop, you know, one thing is, there's no guidelines. And so maybe you've heard about guidelines for self-driving a car. There's level one and level two that actually the Institute for Highway Safety has developed. And so I was tasked recently to write guidelines similarly for autonomous diagnostic systems. Amazing. Diabetic retinopathy is first. So we developed, you know, 10 pages of guidelines, which are currently, you know, under heavy review. And actually we have a meeting Thursday night to try to finalize them. So there's so much work to be done. You know, how do you how do you pay for this? Uh, who gets to do this? How do you train people? There's a lot of things to be done because I, I expect once we get clearance that there will be many other groups and companies trying to do this also, not only in diabetic retinopathy, but in many other fields of medicine. And that, you know, I expect that to improve the outcomes for many, many patients, which is the whole point why we're doing this. That is so awesome. Dr. Abramoff, you're just breaking ground here. Well, yeah. For the capabilities of, of these technologies, I mean, that's that's pretty exciting. Congratulations to you and your team on that. Yeah, thank you. Well, it's the team, right? So, no, thank you. It's awesome. Absolutely. Now, within the company, obviously, this is pretty exciting and the things that you're doing. Maybe what's one of your proudest medical leadership experiences or moments that you've had to date? As a clinician, there's always the patient where they came to you with a problem that was seemed intractable. Maybe someone else had looked at it. You diagnose them, you do several tests, and you're able to find a treatment that actually works. And these are very grateful patients. That's always very rewarding if, if you save someone's sides by thinking about it carefully and then taking the appropriate steps to, to manage it. So that's, you know, for the clinical side. On the company side, like I said, the, the description of where I wasn't involved going to New Mexico and to that side, but our team went there with, you know, four people installed it like we did at other sites around the country. And that really made it real for me that there's a difference between saying you want to do something with an algorithm and actually implementing in, in places like that. That was, to me, so far the most exciting event. That's awesome. And listeners, this is why I highlighted the fact that Dr. Abramoff and his team at IDX are actually doing things with AI not just saying things <laughs> with AI. And so it's pretty exciting what they're up to over there. Really looking forward to seeing what you guys come up with and when it finally launches. So let's pretend you and I, Dr. Abramoff, are building a medical leadership course on what it takes to be successful. It's the 101 course of Dr. Abramoff. I've got four questions for you, lightning round style. And then uh, we're going to conclude with your closing thoughts. You ready for that? I'm ready. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Here we go. What's the best way to improve health outcomes? I think it's so important that you make it accessible. So I focused on making it accessible to patients to make it more affordable 
meaning lower cost or at least higher productivity and at least equal or better quality. So I think that's essential. And there's a lot of ways you can do that. I happen to focus on artificial intelligence, but I think if, if you start with that, if you bring that type of care that is more effective, more accessible and, and more affordable, that is when outcomes start to improve. There's a very different pathway. And many of my colleagues are, are focusing on that, which is inventing or trying to invent and develop new methods of treatment and new methods of diagnosis. And those are as important, if not more important. But there's also a way of bringing the, the scientific knowledge we all already have about what needs to happen with patients and make it more applicable and more widely available. I think that's, that's what I... Mm tend to focus in at least in, in IDX. Uh, you know, I have research interest and I do other of these things, but I think it's, it's essential that we do that. Fascinating. And what would you say one of the biggest mistakes or pitfalls to avoid while creating in the, in the medical spaces? I think many times people get excited about technology or a new protein or a new treatment and try to make it work scientifically without realizing how it can work in clinical practice. And clinical practice can be very different from a research environment. And so it's so important, I think, to have interaction with, with real clinicians. So, you know, both sides, both on, on the side of clinicians and also on the side of researchers, we need to, to talk as much as we can to each other so we understand what is possible on one hand and what's achievable and what is, you know, actually going to work in clinical practice. Because otherwise, I think it, it will not benefit patients in, in the long term. Excellent. And this question is, is, uh, is an interesting one for you because you're the one that is creating the change. But how do you stay relevant in health despite constant change? Well, I never set out to be, be relevant. I, okay, <laughs> so for me, it's A, interest, and B, I want, you know, I'm a doctor. I want to benefit, I want this to benefit patients. I want to make not the world a better place, but at least get sight back or re restore sight or maintain sight in people who are at risk of losing it. And so that's my motivation. So I have interests, which is why, you know, I do it this way, but mm -hmm. it has to ultimately benefit patients. And then, so the fact that I'm considered a leader is not really, to be honest, very important to me. As long as it benefits patients, I'd rather step out of the way if possible. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad, you know, the team knows much more about this than I could collectively know much more about it than I ever can. Yeah. No, that's really interesting, Dr. Abramoff. Thanks for sharing that. You know, at the end, that is what we're here for, you know, to benefit patients. What's one area of focus that should drive everything in a health organization? I think that gets back to your first question. Again, there's a lot of reasons to develop new treatments, new diagnostics, and it's really important. But at least as important is bringing the things we already know and the things we already have to as many patients as we can. And so... You choose either one or the other. I think it's hard to do both. And if you want to benefit the maximum number of patients, try to find ways of, of translating the things we know to patients. And that may, many times, it will require something like artificial intelligence. It's just a, mm -hmm. a, a great tool, I think, to do that. There's almost always an expert who knows <laughs> how to deal with a problem that a patient has. But it's, you know, that, that is not widely available. That is the, the difference. It's that scalability and that ability. To, yep, totally. I, I, I was interviewing one of the folks from Dignity Health, and he said it really well. He said that innovation in healthcare oftentimes is just implementing at scale. And you're doing just that, Dr. Abramoff. So uh, congratulations to you. This has been really, really interesting. Before we conclude, I'd love for you to just share a closing thought with the listeners and then share the best place that they could follow you. I will just repeat what I said before. If you want to benefit patients, 
and you're excited about technology and specifically about artificial intelligence, find ways to make it work where it benefits the maximum number of patients. And many times it will mean it needs to be autonomous and dare take the jump to get away from assisting a specialist and make it actually work autonomously, just as exciting as self-driving cars are and potentially a huge imp- will have a huge impact. The same is with I- autonomous diagnostics. Phenomenal. Well, Dr. Abramoff, this is a fantastic way to conclude today's episode. Uh, just on behalf of myself and the listeners, just want to give you a big thank you for carving out time for us and educating us on, on AI and, and the really neat things that you guys are doing at IDX. Really appreciate it. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. Thanks for tuning in to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast. If you want the show notes, inspiration, transcripts, and everything that we talked about on this episode, just go to outcomesrocket.health. And again, don't forget to check out the amazing Healthcare Thinkathon, where you can get together to form the blueprint for the future of healthcare. You can find more information on that and how to get involved in our theme, which is implementation is innovation. Just go to outcomesrocket.health slash conference. That's outcomesrocket.health slash conference. Be one of the 200 that will participate. Looking forward to seeing you there.